This is Paige, the co-host of Giggly Squad, and I want to tell you about a company that I've been loving, Olive and June. Olive and June gives you everything that you need for a salon-quality manicure in one box. And if you break it down, it really comes out to $2 a manicure, which is absolutely insane. It's also so easy to get salon-worthy nails at home with Olive and June. The difference between how your nails used to look when you did them yourself and now with the Manny system is a complete game changer. The best thing about Olive and June, too, is it's a quick dry. Dries in about one minute, lasts for five days, and full coverage in up to one to two coats. Visit oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. That's oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. Kata Fakaronga mai kwe kito tato al hori hori kita reo irirangi or aotearoa. You're with Our Changing World on RNZ National. And now, if you like following Wellington weather, or perhaps you're a yachty or fisher wondering about sea conditions out on the harbour, you might like to check out the new data stream on Greater Wellington's website. It features real-time information from a smart boy that's been bobbing around in Wellington Harbour since July last year. Joe O'Callaghan from Niwa is the oceanographer behind REBO, which stands for Wellington Region Integrated Buoy Observations, and Claire Comwell is the coastal scientist at Greater Wellington Regional Council. Here's Claire. So we're lucky enough that the data from our uh, coastal monitoring buoy has just gone online on the Greater Wellington Council environmental monitoring page. So we're able to click on the icon, find our drop-down menu, click on where it says water temperature. Today it is about 17.5 degrees, so quite nice. The temperature data comes from Rebo, and so Rebo is a, a real-time harbour buoy that was deployed in Wellington Harbour in July last year. And Rebo tells us about what the temperature, the salinity, the oxygen, the waves and the wind are doing in the harbour right now. The nice thing about these real-time data is that we don't have to go out in a boat, we don't have to wait for the weather or the right time or the right people to go out and find out what's happening. We can sit at our computers and collect this data in real time. Whereabouts in the harbour, is that clear? It's about two kilometres southeast of Soms Island, Matiu Soms, so that's quite central to the harbour. We deliberately selected the site to capture the influence of the river flow plume into the harbour. From our perspective, getting that type of information is really important and really valuable for us to draw those linkages between the, what's happening on the freshwater space and how that influences the coastal environment. So being an you know, obviously a nearshore coastal area that's right on our doorstep and with the Hutt River being the single biggest freshwater inflow into the harbour, having an understanding of how the Hutt River water influences the harbour water was quite a key piece of information that we were really interested in understanding better. Claire says that computer modelling shows that fresh water from the Hutt River stays in the harbour for up to nine to ten days before it's flushed out. It does stay around for quite a few days and after that time obviously it's mixed and people forget about it but it's still quite interesting to know that it actually does take over a week for the what's been coming out of the Hutt River to actually end up in Cook Strait. 
Joe, tell me a bit more about the buoy. Is this something that sits just at the surface of the water? It's a big yellow triangle. It has solar panels around the outside so that it can power itself and then it has uh, wind sensors at the top, so these black sort of sticks and um, with a, it looks like an arrow and it spins around and it tells us how fast the wind's going and where it's coming from. And then underneath the surface, so we've got this yellow buoy at the surface and then below the surface we've got essentially a rope which has instruments that measure ocean properties, temperature, salinity, oxygen, turbidity. So turbidity is basically how muddy the water is? Yes, we'll all know what turbidity is. We all fly around in planes or look at how brown the water is at times and that's turbidity. Sometimes it's blue uh, when there's there's low turbidity and and sometimes it's brown. so. So what depths are these other instruments at? The data that Claire's talked about on the website is at the surface but we have instruments at 5 metres, 10 metres and then at the seabed. So is the water out in the harbour a uniform mass of water? Uh, No, there's layers in salinity mostly but they also layers in temperature, there's layers in oxygen and we've got a surface layer and a deeper layer, I mean it's only 20 metres but they are layers and it's hard for you to move between the layers if you're say plankton, so Understanding the timescales that these layers change is really important for thinking about how healthy the harbour is. So what are some of the key things you've been seeing over the past nine months? So prior to Rebo, there was another buoy which we had out for testing, and so that was out for 12 months. So we actually have a, a bit over 12 months of data, which is, you know, which is fantastic. We get some seasonal picture of what's happening in Wellington Harbour. And about this time last year, we saw a number of cyclones that came through Wellington. Those 2017 ex-tropical cyclones were, of course, Debbie, Cook and then Donna. And so these large events have shown up in surface salinity. So we get the horrible winds and we get the rain and then that ultimately discharges out of the Hutt River into Wellington. And so normally the ocean salinity is about 35, but what we measured in the buoy was down to 10. So this is quite substantially fresher after a cyclone or an ex-tropical cyclone. Which indicates a large amount of water coming down the Hutt River? It does, and I don't have that information on hand, but we certainly know that anything up above the three times median flow, which in those events it definitely is, that's talking about the, the Hutt River flow, definitely you can see the visible plume of the Hutt River extending across the whole harbour, and I definitely see that on my train trip each morning down the Patoni foreshore coast into town when I get the train in. And, you know, by all accounts, on those big events from the Hutt River, it goes straight into Evans Bay as well. So we know that the the Hutt River water actually goes across the whole harbour, which probably a lot of people don't know. So having that information to really support that understanding is, like, a really, really quite key for us to actually be able to tell that story about how the Hutt River really behaves when it hits the coastal environment. This brown water that we, we can sometimes see, whether I'm on the train, I've sometimes seen it out when I'm out doing work on the buoy, we can see this brown water going past. It's really only a very thin layer, so this is why we have instruments at multiple depths. So the, the surface buoy is, is right in the middle of this plume, but we know that plumes are really only one to two to three metres thick, and they sit on the top as they flow out of, of Wellington Harbour or any other harbour around New Zealand. And they're a, a cap, this low salinity cap on the ocean. So freshwater always sits on top of salt water, doesn't That's it? That's right, yeah. And then wind might mix it down in the water column. Uh, the tides move the, the river and the ocean back and forth and uh, continues to move out of the harbour. So Evans Bay is part of its pathway, but it also moves out through the channel and into Cook Strait. What's the impact of one of these events with 
you know, the turbidity changes, the salinity changes, all of those things change. How long does that effect last for? The ocean has a longer memory than in our memory you know we the event passes and we were relieved that the weather's passed but an event that might last say two or three days actually has a, a longer influence on wellington harbour so of the order of two to three weeks so that's because we've got this increase in fresh water at the surface and that changes the the differences from top to bottom and that makes the flows in the harbour different so an ex-tropical cyclone might drop your salinity down to about, what, you said 10? Oh, that's from right. 35. What would it do just during an average run-of-the-mill winter? Just, you know, what's just the variation going to be? A regular Wellington winter day. Um, so some of the data shows that it's 20, so it's, it's certainly fresher than the ocean, but uh, not, not as extreme as what we see after cyclones. I guess the point is it varies a lot. You know, it's varying quite substantially over several days, it's constantly changing. So the turbidity changes significantly, the salinity changes. What happens to the temperature? We can certainly see temperature when the rivers are colder. We can, we can track that temperature signature out with the freshwater. Uh, so it really depends on if it's a cyclone that's come through in March or if it's a winter discharge. Now one of the things that there's been a lot of talk about in the media this summer has been the marine heat wave out in the Tasman Sea. Have you seen any reflection of that here in Wellington Harbour? Uh, so the the boy showed us that at times it got up to 22 degrees, which is which is perfect for swimming, but certainly warmer than we've recalled for Wellington Harbour temperatures. Uh, keep in mind though, that the boy is the first time we've got a lot of long term monitoring. So you know, saying absolutely that it's warmer than usual is tricky because there isn't a, isn't any baseline data, which is the really neat thing about this collaboration. We're sort of building up a picture of how the harbour is now, how the harbour's responding to, you know, as we talk about rivers, but also what's going to happen in a changing climate. How much warmer will the harbour become? So 22 degrees, nice and warm. What about at the other end of the spectrum? What, how cold does it get in winter? <laughs> sure. Uh, so it's, uh, as you'd imagine, quite chilly out there. It's uh, 10 degrees in the middle of winter. So this looks like a great tool, but it is just one boy stuck in one place in Wellington Harbour, isn't it? Yeah, it is. But we, we needed to start somewhere, so it is it is a starting point. <laughs> and it's the first time we've done it, so it made sense for us to stay close to home in that way because if something did go wrong and touch wood, it won't. It's kind of on our doorstep, so if we need to rush out in a hurry or get an alert in the middle of the night, then hopefully nothing too drastic has gone wrong and it's it's accessible for us. So if you think about... The size of the Wellington region, we've got about close to 500 kilometres of coastline and a lot of that is pretty open and exposed and pretty logistically impossible to put any monitoring equipment out or let alone get an understanding of the, what's happening out in the water there. So for us it was made sense to sort of start off at a bite-sized chunk that we, we knew we could do and we knew we could manage and hopefully... If something goes wrong, and it probably will, um, that it's, it'll be manageable for us. Yes, it's only one point in the ocean. It can't be everywhere at all times, unfortunately. But it's a really nice tool, and if we put it together with the other tools that we have access to, we have computer models, we have satellite information, we have buoys in other parts of the country, we can think about how the whole coastal system works, you know, the land-sea interactions. And so it's, it's our piece in the puzzle. Uh, it's the baseline data that hasn't been available in Wellington Harbour before so that's you know that's a great step forward and it'll help us establish this knowledge about how the harbour looks and how we need to think about it in the future. And also 
the harbour is just intimately connected to what else goes on in Cook Strait and the wider ocean beyond that. Absolutely. So we're seeing the river at Rebo, which is great, but it doesn't just stop because we stop measuring it. It keeps moving and it goes well out into the channel and also further afield into Cook Strait. Thanks, Joe. That was oceanographer Joe O'Callaghan at Niwa, and we also heard from coastal scientist Claire Conwell from Greater Wellington. You can find a link to the Wellington Harbour Boy data stream on our webpage, rnz.co.nz slash ourchangingworld. I'm Alison Balance, and this Our Changing World podcast first aired on RNZ National on the 22nd of March 2018. All our audio stories as well as written web features and photos are online at rnz.co.nz slash ourchangingworld. We are also available as a podcast on the RNZ app, or you can subscribe to us wherever you get your podcasts from, including Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher and Radio Public. There are lots of other RNZ podcasts to check out as well. William Ray is back with a brand new series of Black Sheep, which kicks off with the tale of possible pirate Charlotte Badger. If you feel social, we are on Twitter and Facebook at RNZ Science. Bye for now. Matewa. Botox Cosmetic, out of botulinum toxin A, FDA approved for over 20 years. So talk to your specialist to see if Botox Cosmetic is right for you. For full prescribing information, including boxed warning, visit BotoxCosmetic.com or call 877-351-0300. Remember to ask for Botox Cosmetic by name. To see for yourself and learn more, visit BotoxCosmetic.com. That's BotoxCosmetic.com.